The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Friday, everybody. We have got so much going on and to talk about here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7. It is football Friday for high school. We've got college football tomorrow. The World Series starts tonight. Game one is finally here between the Phillies and the Astros. And we have got a busy, busy show today. Uh, Of course, we have got Andrew Ellis at 2.30. He is with Arkansas 247. Our good buddy Jack Hutton will join us in hour number two to make picks for college football and talk about Auburn and Arkansas. But first, as promised, we have Jeff Perlman, the New York Times bestselling author in the studio to talk about his brand new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. We are so excited to have him in studio to talk about the brand new book. Jeff, thank you so much for stopping by, man. I flew in from L.A., I drove from Atlanta, and here I sit. That's That's right, and we are so thankful and grateful that you uh, took some time out of your very busy schedule uh, to come by and talk about this book. Of course, you have a book signing tonight in Auburn, and like you said, you're coming from Los Angeles to Atlanta and now to Auburn, so you've been all over the place in a a matter of about 12 hours. I have, but I'm very happy to be here. Good. Well, we're so happy that you're here. Well, go ahead and tell everybody about the book signing you're you're going to tonight and be doing, and then we will get into talking about the brand new book. So it's 530 tonight at Auburn Oil, which I guess is, do you guys call it downtown? Like, do you say yes. downtown? Mm-hmm. Yes. You do yep. say downtown. Yep. Downtown Auburn. Yorker, yep. and, you know, <laughs> yep. right, yeah. So yeah, and, this and, is, this is a little smaller than uh, LA or, or, or New York in all those big cities. Okay. But I did go to college at the University of Delaware in Newark, Delaware. And this is definitely bigger than Newark, Delaware. Fair. Yeah. So. And Auburn is growing by the minute. I yeah, mean, it's, it, awesome. it's, it's one of the fastest growing cities in America right now. I don't know how you come here and not want to go here. Like I can't imagine visiting Auburn. And then not wanting to go to Auburn. That's That's pretty much the recruiting pitch is for athletes or just regular students. Is if you get them on campus, they're probably going to commit to Auburn. And everybody's everybody's so uh, friendly around town and everything. I'm sure that you you experienced that because you were when when were you here for uh, researching the uh, book? Maybe about a year and a half ago. And I actually it is funny because I I was curious. I was thinking how how many people now would know Bo Jackson, right? How many students would know Bo Jackson? Because he literally hasn't played at Auburn in almost 40 mm-hmm. years. And I decided, I took a notepad, and I just went student to student to student. I was going to do 100 random students. 99 out of 100 knew <laughs> Bo Jackson. And you guys are probably not surprised at all. But I guarantee you, if you go to Texas and do Ricky Williams, or you go to Notre Dame and do Rocket Ismail, you might get 30, 40, 50, but 99. There's oh, Right yeah. now, somewhere in Auburn, there's a sophomore in there named uh, Mia Burcham, 
who uh, did not know Bo Jackson. <laughs> well, not to call him out on the air or anything, She right? was delightful. No, she was awesome. She just didn't know. <laughs> well, look, man, we are so excited to have you again. It is Jeff Perlman, the New York Times bestselling author. His brand new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Man, we'll get right into it. What made you want to dive into this legend of Bo Jackson? He's the best athlete of all time. What made you want to start writing this book and just dive in on Bo Jackson? So I'm very nostalgic, and I happen to be older than both of you guys by a significant amount. And when I was a kid, I had Bo Jackson's poster on my wall. Mm. There's a famous poster you guys probably know, the ball player with the pads and the baseball bat. Mm-hmm. That was hanging prominently above my bed. When I went to college at Delaware, there was a different poster with him in different athletic uniforms. I had that hanging up above my bed. Like, I was all about Bo Jackson. And when you write books, for me, nostalgia is a strong point, like a real strong point. I wrote a book about the Showtime Lakers because I love the Showtime. I wrote Walter Payton because I grew up loving Walter Payton. And Bo Jackson, I just, it's almost like you had to be there. The idea of a guy saying, first, I'm not going to play in the NFL. I'm going to play Major League Baseball. Even though I'm the number one overall pick, I'm going to play Major League Baseball. And then saying a year later, yeah, I'll take up this hobby. He called it a hobby. I'll take it up a hobby and I'll play in the NFL too, just for fun, just for fun. It's, it was the craziest thing of all time, truly. So what were your expectations kind of going into this process? Because there's so many like mythological stories about Bo Jackson. Were you kind of skeptical going into this process about some of it? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example of one is um, someone told me, so he went to McAdory High School mm-hmm. outside of Birmingham. And someone said there was a game when he hit a ball so high to left field that by the time it came down, he was rounding third. And I was like, BS. Like, there's no way. There's no way. That doesn't, that's like As a, any normal person would react. Yes. That's a cartoon. That's a Bugs Bunny cartoon, right? But um, I'm calling people and they're like, nah, man, I'm telling you. Nah, man, I'm telling you. Nah, I'm telling you. So Eddie Scott, Fairfield High School left fielder, 1982. I call up Eddie Scott. He was in left field. He's like, Jeff, I'm telling you, here's what happened. The ball is the highest ball I've ever seen hit. He went and played in college too, Eddie Scott. As high as any ball I've ever seen. I'm looking up. I can't find it. I can't find it. It comes down sort of in front of me. I pick it up. I turn to throw and Bo is rounding third base. <laughs> and he's like, it's insane. And then I just want to say he ran a four one three forty when he was here at Auburn, which obviously is, I mean, what's to say Tyreek Hill is the fastest guy in the NFL right now. He doesn't run a four one three forty, and Bo outweighed him by 35 pounds. Mm. Bo goes to the Raiders and they decide Tom Flores, the coach says, we're going to have you run a 40 on grass, on grass, in pads. He does a 4.19. Flores doubts that it's accurate. Has him do it again, and he runs a 4.17. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. And but <laughs> that is the that's just the legend of Bo Jackson. And of course, being here in Auburn, uh, we grew up Auburn fans. Obviously, we went to Auburn. You're just you grow up loving Bo Jackson and learning about Bo Jackson. And one thing that is different from Carter and I versus somebody, uh, you know, maybe like our our parents or people that are obviously older than us that got to watch Bo Jackson play. Right. We didn't get to do that, but uh, so many people did. And it's so hard for us to understand what Bo Jackson was, because, again, all we see is highlights on YouTube or what they play before a football game or or watching or looking at a statue or reading about Bo Jackson in a book just like this. And you went back and went and talked to and had interviews and looked at interviews of 720 different sources for this book. What was that like? And why did you feel it was important to, to have that many sources for a book like this? Because he really is a myth. And I really wanted to figure out if this, I just wait, I'm being serious about this. For you guys who didn't see Bo Jackson, okay? This is what I always say. In, in high school, Bo Jackson won back-to-back Alabama State Decathlon Championships, okay? His senior year, 
he did it on a sprained ankle, got so far ahead he wouldn't have to run the 1500 because he hated distance running, won the, the decathlon. The next day, the next day on a sprained ankle, he started his only game of the year as a pitcher for McAdory in a state playoff game, <laughs> struck out 13. He, in his career, he stole 90 of 91 bases in high school. I talked to the catcher who threw him out. His name was Sam Doss from Jessalyn near high. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, it was a high fast one. I threw it quick. The next time up, Bo hits a home run, crosses <laughs> home plate, winks at Sam Doss. Right? <laughs> That's amazing. He set five individual track and field records. He is, um, he set a national single season high school home run record with 20, missed seven games to compete in track events. He did it in like 25 games? 25 he? games. He hit 20 home runs. That's it's, unbelievable. It's a joke. It's Pick your favorite athlete right now. He's not as good as Bo Jackson. And, I, and I've, I've listened to you talk about the book a little bit. And there's he ends up getting drafted in the second round by the Yankees. <laughs> and I know that you've absolutely dug into that story. Uh, I remember from the 30 for 30 on him, the story of when they found him and he's hitting in the batting cage. And then I heard you talk about Auburn basically tried to hide him and keep him from the uh, Yankees. What, what, what was that process like? What was, what was that story? This is going to shock you a little, but <laughs> some of the things that went on in SEC football back in the day, not that kosher. I don't want to. It wasn't all by the book is was, what you're saying? No, no. <laughs> it was a little bit of, a little bit of uh, you know, bookkeeping slights here and there. But right. um, basically, Bo's a senior in high school. Um, there's a booster who's basically trailing him all the time and basically serving as a buffer between baseball and Bo because they, Auburn wants Bo Jackson. He's their number two recruit in that class. And um, Yankees draft him second round. And the scout's name was Gus Palouse. He'd been a scout forever. And he calls Bo and nobody answers the phone. And he calls again and nobody answers the phone. The Yankees send someone to knock on his door. They don't answer the door. <laughs> he calls his baseball uh, coach, Terry Brazil at McAdory, and he says, we want to fly you and Bo to New York to see the Yankees play the Red Sox. Obviously, any human being with a sane head, a free trip to New York, go see, you know, Bo didn't even know the Yankees and Red Sox were rivals. Like, he had no idea about any of it. Just didn't know, didn't care, wasn't his thing, wasn't on his radar. He'd only left the state of Alabama one time, and it was to go to Six Flags in Atlanta. <laughs> like, he'd never left. So, Gus, the scout, Gus Poulos, later said, he's like, I've never seen anything like this where the New York Yankees are coming to you with bushels of money and you're just avoiding me at all costs. And he never negotiated with the Yankees. And, and a lot of that had to do with the promise that he made to his mom, right? He said his mom really wanted him to go to a four-year school. He would have been the first. He was one of 10 siblings. Mm -hmm. He would have been the first to go to a four-year college. And you have to remember about Bo, and it is important, uh, grew up with a severe stutter, grew up one of 10 in a three-room house, not a three-bedroom house, a three-room house, no running water, outhouse out the side, uh, tar paper roof, um, you know, just like would get burns on his body from rolling into the heater at night, sleeping up against the heater. Like he had this really hard scrabble upbringing, mm -hmm. single mom. His dad, A.D. Adams, lived across town, raising his own family, had very little to do with Bo. So the things he overcame are intense. And the guy you see today is just a product of real doggedness, hard work, devotion, devotion to his mom, and just discipline. It's really interesting to to hear you talk about those types of things that most people probably wouldn't know about Bo Jackson and look at, at a guy like him that way because he was just so uh, superhuman, right? And he just seemed to be that guy. It's like all of the professional athletes. You feel like they can do no wrong and they're just perfect people. But when you start getting into their backstory a little bit, you realize, okay, a lot of these people came from not very much. And it's incredible to see somebody like Bo Jackson who got to do as much as he did. Oh, I agree 100%. And I will tell you, it's, it's interesting back then 
you know, he, they come, he came to Auburn. I, I'll tell you stuff. I mean, I don't even know if you want to hear this, but I'll tell you the truth. Like he comes to Auburn. Okay. And it's his sophomore year. And Sewell Hall was under construction that year. I talked to Lionel James, who was a running back mm-hmm. and a roommate of Bo. And Lionel died a few months ago. He was a great guy. And we spoke at length. And he said, Pat Dye came up to Lionel James um, because they were putting this for the year. They were putting the athletes in mobile home units because they were redoing Sewell mm-hmm. Hall. And Pat Dye says, I know you guys are having relations with white girls on campus. He's like, I don't have a problem with it. I brought you here. I, I recruited you here. You have every right to do that. I don't know how it's going to go over with the community. I'm going to put you guys in a trailer off campus, far off campus, just so people aren't aware. Wow. And Lionel James later told me, he said, before he died, he said, there were moments that year where I was like, he, he said a game against Florida, he broke all five fingers on his hand. And he's like, do these people, like, how would they feel about me if I was dating their daughters? How would they feel about me if I was just a guy living next door? Am I just a football player to them? Or do I matter to them? And I, I, I think for a lot of African-American players during that era, it was kind of a fair question. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, I mean, with the legend that Bo is, I mean, even today when they put him on the Jumbotron to, to steal, I guess, a, a, a wrestling term, he gets a pop that nobody else gets in the stadium. And kind of as you dug into getting to know, I guess, the Auburn community and talking to people that were around Bo, what do you think Bo Jackson means to Auburn and to the people that he played in front of and has been around in the Auburn community? I mean, first and foremost, it all started with the Iron Bowl mm-hmm. and Bo over the top. And you know what's funny about the game? People forget he fumbled on the next possession and they almost <laughs> yeah. lost the game. Yeah, Alabama got They don't the talk ball. about that very they much. They never talk about that. <laughs> but that Bo over the top play has to be, I mean, you guys know better than me. It's got to be one of the five greatest plays in the history of this football program. It is. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that moment set him on a course and it was sort of the, you know, it was the end of Bear Bryant's, not just his career, but his life. And Alabama had won nine straight Iron Bowls. They were the dominant program in the nation, not just here. And it was Bo Jackson was the guy, in a weird way, who took over for Bear Bryant. Like Bear Bryant died, Ray Perkins took over, nobody really cared. And Bo Jackson became this iconic figure of Alabama football. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Look, man, Bo Jackson, of course, is he's an Auburn legend. He's a sports legend and uh, just an incredible career. We're going to continue talking with Jeff Perlman, the New York Times bestselling author about his brand new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. We've got him in studio for the first 30 minutes here on this Friday afternoon. We'll take our first break in hour number one. Come back and continue talking Bo Jackson with Jeff Perlman. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Friday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Continuing on, speaking with Jeff Perlman. He is a New York Times bestselling author. We are discussing his brand new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. We appreciate him stopping by and giving us some of his time in his very busy schedule. He's got a book signing tonight, 530 at the oil company, correct? Yep. Is it called the oil company? Auburn Oil or the oil yeah, company? Yeah, I think it's the Auburn Oil Company. Auburn Oil Company, I believe is what it's called. I don't so want there people you to show up literally at the, <laughs> at the Jiffy Lube asking for me. That would be weird. I mean, look, they can show up there. They, they're <laughs> not going to have any luck. Yeah. But but look, man, we again, we really appreciate you stopping by. Continuing on talking about this book, it's the biography of Bo Jackson. And I want to ask you, 
going into this process of writing this book, you again, having 720 different sources, and you learn so much about Bo Jackson as a person, as a player, uh, from growing up to when he retired, all of those things. What is one thing that you learned in this process about Bo Jackson that you didn't know before writing the book? Well, first I want to say, when you, when you, if you come out of a book project that you research hard and you haven't learned anything, you've done a very crappy job of writing, you know? <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, right, right. Um, I mean, one of my favorite stories that I actually opened the book with that I knew nothing about is he's with the White Sox and they're coming back from a game against the Angels and the plane catches on fire. And Tim Raines is an outfielder with the White Sox at that point. He looks out the window and it's like, holy crap, the plane, plane's on fire. And um, everyone's freaking out. Frank Thomas, Auburn alum, first mm-hmm. baseman for White Sox, cocoons himself in pillows. Like <laughs> there's this image everyone has of him. Ozzie Gian's kissing this cross and everyone's freaking out. And the cockpit door opens and out comes Bo Jackson. He's been in the cockpit and he goes, uh, guys, everyone calm down. It's going to be okay. Pilots have it under control. Take your seats, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Joey Cora, second baseman, said it was the most courageous thing I've ever seen. And I got that from a lot of people. But then I talked to a lot of other people on the plane who said, no, 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 that's not right. Plane catches on fire. Everyone's freaking out. Bo Jackson gets up from his seat, runs up the aisle into the cockpit to help them fly the plane and land it. Now, I write in the book, the beauty of Bo Jackson is they could both be true because he is this mythological figure. The one thing that is undeniable is that they land in Des Moines. They're all shaken. It's 3.30 in the morning. There's a closed pretzel kiosk with a keg of beer with a lock on it. Bo Jackson gets up, walks over to the keg, breaks the lock open, and, and pours beer for everyone on the team. Wow. Wow. I That's mean, amazing. that that is super, super cool, man. I mean, again, it's those types of stories that you're going to get out of a book like this that you can't read. You're not going to read that on the internet, right? You're near, you, Nobody's going to tell you that story unless you are getting it from this book because you did talk to so many people who had uh, contact or were, were with Bo Jackson. I mean, the key is you write, like, I find out about a flight like that. I go through the White Sox roster and I call 20 people and I talk to the pitching coach and the hitting coach and the catcher instructor and a million players. And then you put together an understanding of what happened. So in the process of talking to all these people, I imagine that there was some sort of interaction with Bo Jackson. And we know through through Bo's tweets and what he's put out on social media, he was not involved in the making of this of this mm-hmm. biography. What does like how does that affect the process? How did you get to this point where you were able to make the book? And then how how do you hope Bo Jackson perceives this book now that it's out there? Yeah, those are great questions. So, okay, early on in the project, I wrote, um, I wrote Bo a letter and I sent a couple of my other books. And one day I'm sitting at home in my backyard and uh, a number pops up on my phone. I was talking to my mom and a number pops up and it's a block number. And I said to my mom, I bet this is Bo Jackson. I swear. And uh, he goes, Mr. Jeff Perlman? I knew it was his voice. I recognized him <laughs> immediately. I go, yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is Bo Jackson. We probably talked for a half hour. He lives in outside of Chicago now. Mm-hmm. And he was driving to get his wife a chopped salad. This is 2020 during the pandemic. <laughs> and he was really nice. And he told me about his life and what he's up to. And he likes being charitable. And he said, um, he's like, I don't have a problem with you writing this book, but I'm not going to help you. It doesn't, you know, it, um, people come up to me all the time, blah, 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 blah. But I wish you well, et cetera. And um, that was actually great. Like he was nice. He wasn't a jerk. He has every right to. And I got really lucky. Uh, journalistically, which is in 1990, Bo Jackson wrote an autobiography called Bo Knows Bo. And if you're over the age of 12, you probably know like an athlete writing a biography is is an autobiography is almost never really the athlete sitting down with a pen and paper. Mm -hmm. He did it with a legendary journalist named Dick Schapp. Uh, His son, Jeremy Schapp works for ESPN. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, Dick Schapp 
I found out while reporting, donated all his interviews from those 1989 and 90 sessions, all of them, to the Auburn Library. And in the basement of the Auburn Library is hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes, transcripts, including all the audio of all the interviews he and Bo Jackson did. So I paid the Auburn Library like 250 bucks to copy the stuff and send it to me. And I basically had 28, 29 year old Bo Jackson with mounds of material never before heard, never before used, and it was magical. And what do I want Bo to think? I want him to hear me promoting this book and telling nonstop amazing Bo Jackson stories. And the reason I'm telling him, and I swear to God this is true, and I genuinely mean this, is because I hate that people, in a way your guys age, but not you because you're here, don't know who he is or don't understand the legacy or think LeBron James is the greatest athlete of all time because of recency bias or there's no one better than John Morant. Well, there was this guy, Bo Jackson, and he is the greatest athlete to ever walk the freaking planet. And I think it's important that people remember that. And and obviously his career gets cut short due to injury. And so that plays a part into why we don't, I guess, view him as maybe the athlete of, of the stature that he was. How... How did that affect, I guess, Bo Jackson, the person? How does that affect how we view him? And what do you think he would have been without that injury had he continued with his career? It's a great question. First of all, it's weird in a way. I actually think, I always say, like, if he continued on his path, let's say he played football for 10 years, let's say he played baseball for 12. I think he winds up Eric Dickerson, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Jim Brown level. I do. I think he's one of the great, if not the greatest, running back of all time. Baseball, because he did not devote himself to baseball because his off-seasons were spending football, I think he's Sean Green. I think he's Raul Mondesi. Guys, I think he's a great baseball player. Mm -hmm. But I think he goes down as a, a legendary NFL player and a great baseball player. And I think he's far more interesting of a story that that didn't happen because the question mark hovers over everything about that guy. Mm -hmm. The what if. The right? what if the, is, is the story of Bo Jackson. That's right. And it's the we play the what if game all the time on the show, right? Talking about sports because that's what makes it that much more interesting. Of course. You get to have the, well, what if this didn't happen? Or what if this did happen? It's what sports radio is often about. That's exactly about right. It, right. That's exactly Hypotheticals. right. Hypotheticals. Right. Yeah. You know, that's 100%. It. And look, man, you from talking to you and just in the 20 minutes that we've had you here, you've had nothing but good things to say about Bo Jackson. Stories about him that were good. I assume this book is the exact same way we of course have not had a chance to fully get into it uh, i'm about a chapter into it but what i guess the way i want to word this is how is this book formatted right how how is the storyline laid out how does it what can a reader expect from reading this book and the format and how all the information is portrayed to them it's honestly birth to birth to now like it's a very chronological retelling of his life with a lot of branching offs like i'm really into the moments like bo jackson basically has like seven moments that everyone knows climbing the wall Climbing a wall, by the way, I just want to say, <laughs> yeah. my son and I had this whole debate about what's his greatest moment. And I said, it has to be climbing the wall because no one's done it before or since. Like there are always great throws, there are always great runs. You can argue, no one has climbed. Do you, do you, have you seen the video? Oh right? yeah, where oh, he yeah. just runs up the wall, yeah. He literally runs up the wall, yep. this is in Baltimore, runs across the wall, runs down the wall. The Oriole uh, bullpen was behind the wall the guys recoiled in the bullpen because they saw the top of his head and thought he was coming over the wall. That's how high he was up the wall. The next day, I talked to a ton of guys throughout major league stadiums. Guys were trying to do it. <laughs> they were like running up to the wall. 
and like falling on their heads. Like in warm-ups and stuff? Yes. During so BP, during shagging. Yeah, it's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Well, man, we are just about out of time with you. we got a couple of minutes left. I just want you to, to, to have your time to be able to, to get your last, you know, your last pump in about this book and tell everybody why this should go out and get the last folk hero, the life and myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, of course, Jeff Rowan, you are a New York Times bestselling author. Just your your final sell of this book because look you've had great stories already and again I, like I said I've gotten very little into it but I'm excited to read it I know Carter is as well we're looking forward to reading it why should people get into this book I mean I would say if we're talking on a regional basis like you guys right here are home to the greatest athlete in the history of humanity like you actually are you actually mm-hmm. this is arguably the birthplace of the at the greatest athlete of humanity I don't and I swear I mean this. I don't care if you take the book out from a library, borrow it from a friend. This is not about profit for me. I just really want people to remember him and to understand how great he was. So that's awesome. Well, that. well that, that, that's a really good way to put it. And we're excited to read it. We've been excited to have this interview. And we're so, so thankful that you were able to come by uh, today and tell us some really good things. Again, you've got a book signing tonight, 530 at the Auburn Oil Company. Be sure to go out and check that out. Um, uh, if you have one quick tidbit or story that you could drop in here right before we go we'd love to hear are we it. not talking delaware football today i mean <laughs> i mean we can put it on the rundown if we need to yeah no no that's good um i would say this his um his last year with the angels the gm was bill bavese and this is after bo hurt his hip and he signed him as a he's quote as a circus act right he's like he can't do anything but he'll draw people in and it's kind of at the end they were redoing angel stadium and up on the scaffolding, way up high, are all these construction workers. And one day, the construction workers are like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Nobody could reach him. Bo Jackson threw it twice, hit him in the hands. That's wow. so, it's unbelievable, but it's Bo Jackson, so it's believable. Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author. Go find his book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk to Andrew Ellis of hogsports.com when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Man, that was an absolute blast. That was that was incredible. Jeff Perlman, the author of the full or the last folk hero, the life and uh, let's see, it's the life and myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, just an unbelievable time talking to him. We're going to get into that a little bit more later, but excited to welcome in Andrew Ellis, who is with Hogsports.com, the Arkansas two four seven site previewing Auburn and Arkansas man it's been a long time since we talked to you how are you man I'm doing good man uh, I'll see if I can follow up the New York Times best-selling <laughs> author well but uh, I'm happy to be on how are you guys doing? hey we're doing we're great doing man great. look what we had you on a baseball season or I did Carter was not here yet but I had you on a baseball season you were fantastic talking about Arkansas so uh, excited to get into the conversation Auburn and Arkansas tomorrow 11 a.m in Jordan Hare Stadium uh, it's a battle of two teams that are sort of going the wrong direction this season in in their in their play on the field. Arkansas sits at four and three, one and three in conference play, man. What can you tell us about this Arkansas team up to this point in the season? Well, you know, obviously both teams are coming off a of bye week and it's always interesting to see how teams respond to that kind of situation coming off a of bye week. Arkansas was able to get some momentum going into it a couple weeks ago, getting a pretty solid win on the road against BYU. The offense really came alive in that one. 
They also have been, you know, struggling so much defensively, but they should be getting some of their top defenders back this weekend from a secondary that's really just been beat up all year. Should have a few of their top guys back, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond coming off a of bye week. Yeah, uh, kind of with this Arkansas team, kind of taking the temperature of what the expectations were going in and then how these last four games have gone, going one and three, how are the Razorback faithful feeling going into this game on Saturday? Well, they feel a lot better than they probably would have two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, things, you know, coming off a three-game losing streak, things looked a little bleak. But, you know, like I said, getting that win at BYU going into the bye week sort of helped, you know, boost morale a little bit around Fayetteville. And, you know, Arkansas just, you know, went through such a tough stretch there in conference play, you know, dropping a, a really close game to A&M, one that really they let slip away and then, having to face Bama and then go on the road to Starkville right after that, you know, that's just a tough stretch that, you know, no matter how good you are, you're going to, you're going to face some adversity there. But, you know, coming out of that, this is a big game to kind of, for Arkansas to decide which direction they want to go. You know, they get a big win on the road against Auburn, a team that they haven't had a ton of success again. Then all of a sudden, you know, the fan base starts feeling, you know, as good as they did preseason. But, you know, you drop to four and four and then you start looking ahead and having to play LSU and Ole Miss. It can get bleak really quick. We're speaking with Andrew Ellis, who's with Hogsports.com, the Arkansas 247 site. Sam Pittman seems to be just the perfect fit for the Arkansas Razorback football program. Uh, there's some hires that have happened around the SEC and around the country where maybe there there have been a lot of question marks about whether that coach fits that program, but that's just not the case with Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I would say I would say so. I mean, it's definitely you know from a fit standpoint, it's hard to imagine someone, you know, more perfect for that job as the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. You know, just a guy that, you know, says all the things that Arkansas fans love to hear, loves talking about physicality, blue collar. And I think he really understands the fan base and, you know, they really embrace him and love him and they'll embrace him a lot more if he can, uh, if he can finally beat Auburn. But uh, yeah, as of right now, I'd say, yeah, he's definitely the, the guy that all fans have been able to rally behind for sure. Andrew, kind of looking at again at these past four games, with the heartbreaking way that the the loss to A and M happened, and then the way the Alabama Mississippi State games went, obviously Mississippi State was without KJ Jefferson. What did you see out of Arkansas in that kind of bizarre middle of the schedule road trip to Provo when they went and played BYU and handled business? Well, yeah, it was definitely a weird road game because it's not the kind of game that one Arkansas had never played BYU and never you know played a game out in Provo and kind of an interesting to do it at that point in the schedule but you know they they it was kind of a must-win situation for Arkansas I mean they really could not afford to drop a fourth game there would have been a lot of a lot of talk going into that bye week and you know stuff that they didn't want to deal with but they were able to get a little bit of momentum the offense really opened things up and KJ Jefferson had a really good day throwing the football and it was kind of the the best version of the Arkansas offense that we've seen this year and Defensively, they gave up 35 points, but like I mentioned earlier, they're going to they're gonna get some of their top guys back. So it kind of gave them a little bit of a boost that they needed to where now they're looking at – they look at the bye week and as an opportunity to get some of their key guys healthy and kind of makes the feel of this season better moving forward. You know, last year Arkansas really finished the year strong, and so they're looking at this last half of the schedule with a lot of home games, hoping they can go on a similar kind of run the way they did at the end of last year. He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for hogsports.com, the 247 side. Andrew Ellis joining us here on On the Line. How much different is this Arkansas football team with and without K.J. Jefferson at the quarterback spot? 
I mean, it's 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 night and day, and you know, uh, the backup quarterback Malik Hornsby had a pretty good day against Mississippi State, but you know, just the the presence that Jefferson has for Arkansas, you know, just a leadership standpoint, and you know, uh, you know, I mentioned the physicality that Sam Pittman preaches and that this team prides themselves on. KJ Jefferson's at the front and center of all of that, you know, just the way he plays, big physical guy, and you know, the team really responds whenever he's behind center, and you can kind of feel that, especially whenever he was out of the lineup, and it, you know, his, his presence was. Uh, you know, he really sets the tone for this offense and, you know, throwing the football, he's made so much progress throughout his career. He's having a career year so far in that department. And like I mentioned, running the ball, he just really sets the tone for everything that they do. Andrew, with, with Rocket Sanders and K.J. Jefferson both able to, to attack defenses with their legs, what have you seen out of them this year, especially Rocket Sanders, just 130 yards away from a 1,000-yard season already? What have you seen out of them, and what are you expecting out of them on Saturday? Well, it's interesting. You know, Rocket Sanders is you know a big time recruit out of the state of Florida who actually came to Arkansas as a receiver. You know, last year as a running back, he had some good moments, but it was more of a running back by committee situation where you know him, Traylon Smith, Dominique Johnson were some of the guys who kind of led the charge, and it was really a, pretty much an even distribution of how they handled the workload in the run game, along with KJ Jefferson. But this year, it's pretty much been the Rocket Sanders show. I mean, he's been the guy, you know, averaging 20 carries a game, and he's really the guy that they like to ride. And, you know, they'll rotate other guys in. A.J. Green and Rashad Dubinion will get their work. But, you know, whenever Rocket's not tired, he's the guy that they want to get the ball to. And, you know, Arkansas had so much success running the ball. Even against Alabama, ran for 187 yards. So, you know, this matchup with Auburn, you know, should match up favorably, especially considering, you know, what Auburn, you know, how they struggled against Ole Miss in their last game out. But, you know, I'm sure that you know they've had two weeks to prepare for that. We'll see if they can kind of kerfuffle the line of scrimmage a little bit and shake things up a little bit. But it seems like a favorable matchup for Arkansas, and we'll see uh, you know what Rocket and KJ can do this weekend. Auburn and Arkansas, 11 a.m. on Saturday in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It's a battle of one in three teams in the conference sitting at the bottom of the SEC West. Andrew, what is your uh, just your scouting report, your takeaways of what this Auburn football team has looked like to this point in the season? I haven't seen a ton of Auburn, but, uh, you know, just kind of preparing for this game, I've been able to kind of watch a little bit of what they've got. And, you know, obviously the the quarterback position has been an interesting one, and it seems like Robbie Ashford's kind of taken control of that job. But it seems like the Ar- the Auburn offense just, you know, can't really find any consistency from any standpoint. And, you know, you know, it seemed like the one game that they played pretty well is this Ole Miss game. We're able to run the ball pretty well, but gave up 430 yards on the other end. And, you know, it just seems like – they haven't been able to get a rhythm of any kind, kind of looking for an identity. And, you know, we'll see how, how they respond out of this bye week. You know, this bye week is a chance for them to kind of refresh and see if they can, you know, change their fortune down the stretch. And uh, it's going to be an interesting game. You're at home against a team in Arkansas that you've had a lot of success against. You know, if Brian Harson is able to get a win in this game, all of a sudden it changes the, the feel around the program. And uh, we'll see if they can get it done this weekend. Andrew, with, with being 4-3, and three, coming off the bye, with the road trip to Auburn, do, do Arkansas fans fans view this as kind of a a kind of a inflection point in the season that can kind of spring them into a strong finish with a few tough games coming up? I mean, Liberty is uh, not not exactly a a slouch of a G five team, and then they got LSU and Ole Miss before they finish off with with Missouri. Is this is this a big game for how this season can turn out for Arkansas? Absolutely, I would say so. You know, Auburn, you know, obviously this isn't your your typical, you know, Auburn team that's, you know, a top contender or anything. But, 
it's a team that Arkansas has not had a ton of success against. So if they were able to get a win on the road against Auburn of any kind, you know, that, that's a big win for this program and something that the fan base would obviously be great to have. And, you know, you look down the stretch, there's a lot of tough games. You know, the LSU and Ole Miss game in particular are interesting games that, you know, you get them at home. So getting this win at Auburn, being able to kind of build some momentum, you know, going into that game along with the Liberty game would be huge. And, you know, there's some winnable games down the stretch. And But, yeah, if they win this Auburn game, I feel like it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the season. And like I mentioned, you know, this team wants to go on a run similar to the one they went on last year where they won five or six down the stretch. And, you know, obviously you got to win this one if you want to, you know, you know, you want to win out. Andrew Ellis with hogsports.com, the Arkansas 247 site. Uh, which side of the football tomorrow does Arkansas need to play better on? I guess which side of the football has to step up and be uh, be better for Arkansas for them to have a chance of winning this game against Auburn? You know, I, I, it's, it's, it would be the easy answer to say the defense needs to step up because the Arkansas defense has struggled so much. I mean, they're at the bottom of the SEC in just about every category you can imagine. I've given up hope of trying to to expect this defense to make any real strides, even if they do have some guys healthy. I think they just need to play well offensively, control the game on the ground, play keep away, and you know see if they can put this Auburn offense at a disadvantage by building an early lead and kind of put a young quarterback you know behind the sticks and put a young quarterback where he has to come back in the game. I think if Arkansas can control this game on the ground, the way that they've done in a lot of their games this season, they can kind of take care of business offensively take some pressure away from their defense and their secondary. They they should be in mostly good shape. Well, not to uh, wish away football season, but maybe to uh, look at a season where both of these fan bases will probably be a little bit more excited about the success of their teams. Basketball season is right around the corner. Uh, of course, Auburn and Arkansas are two of the four or five best teams in the SEC coming into the season. Man, expectations are high for the Razorbacks on the on the hardwood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Arkansas had a lot of success the last couple of years under Eric Musselman, and you know, many think this might be the most talented team he has so far. You know, it's a very young team, so it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve throughout the year. But yeah, the expectations are certainly high. Preseason number ten. I'm I'm actually on my way currently to Austin, Texas. Uh, Arkansas got a big exhibition matchup against uh, the Texas Longhorns tomorrow, which is going to be a fun one for the fans. You know, it's the first game in Texas' new arena, so it should be a fun atmosphere, and it'll be good to see how this young Arkansas roster fares against a legitimate top team but yeah the expectations are absolutely high and I'm I'm sure the the atmosphere for the for Arkansas Auburn basketball this year is gonna be awesome like it has been the last couple oh yeah well we're looking forward to that but Auburn Arkansas football tomorrow 11 a.m in Jordan-Hare Stadium Andrew Ellis with hogsports.com the Arkansas 247 site man we appreciate you coming back on the show talking all things Arkansas let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you ever want to read anything Arkansas-related, hogsports.com. That's H-A-W-G sports.com. Part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Andrew Ellis 24-7 on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hit me up, I guess. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, well, man, I'm sure we'll talk to you when basketball season rolls around. It's always good to hear from you. That is Andrew Ellis, who, again, he writes for hogsports.com, the Arkansas 24-7 site, here on the Friday edition of On the Line. It's been a busy one, but don't you worry. It's not slowing down. we got a whole lot more. We'll wrap up hour number one, and our good buddy Jumpin' Jack Hutton will join us in studio for all of hour number two. Stay tuned. More of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app.
Wrapping up our number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Auburn up like a sports leader. It's been a very, very busy hour number one here in the studio. Just got off the phone with Andrew Ellis of hogsports.com and Arkansas 247. Talk to him about Auburn and Arkansas. Of course, they play tomorrow at 11 a.m. We will talk more about that game coming up in hour number two. Our good friend Jack Hudden is on, he's en route, according to our text messages. He is en route to the studio. He will join us in studio to talk college football. We'll make our Friday selections like we always do. And of course, we'll talk Auburn, Arkansas near the back end of the show. But, man, the first 30 minutes, Jeff Perlman, who wrote the last full hero of the life and myth of Bo Jackson, fantastic interview. If you missed it, please, please, please go and find the podcast. You can find it at ESPNAU.com, or you can search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to go and find that today or this weekend if you're looking for something to listen to. It was amazing. He came in, and we talked all things Bo Jackson, his process about writing this book. Uh, Just what an incredible interview that was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I wish we still had, I wish we had like a long form podcast just to sit there and talk right. about Bo Jackson. I'm like, I could have done it for, for hours. hours. It really was Yep. maybe one of my favorite interviews we've ever had. And uh, it was wildly entertaining. And I felt like I, I know I learned some, some things and I hope that our listeners learned some things as well. And it was about as much fun as I've had in the studio there for for about 30 straight minutes. It was a blast. And one thing, and I told him this, is it was just, you know, we've, we've seen the reactions and the comments from Bo Jackson himself about this book, right? Because Bo did not... He didn't contribute to this. He didn't help out with this. And he told, and Jeff Perlman told us a story. Bo said, I'm not helping you with this. And we've seen Bo Jackson's comments on Twitter the last couple of days yes. talking about how, you know, you can go and read them on Twitter if you want to, talking about he's not going to sign it. He's not, you know, he didn't help with this, whatever, right? But Jeff Perlman had nothing bad to say about Bo Jackson at all. I, oh. I mean, nothing. It was all positive stories, good things. And I think that's what this book is going to be about. Yeah, I think it's absolutely going to be that that type of story and it seems that way from from listening to to Jeff talk about Bo uh and tell stories um and I think that that's just kind of who Bo Jackson is as a person like I don't think he cares for the spotlight I don't think so when this book comes out I think it's so very important to tell this story because you cannot talk about college football the NFL you can't tell the story of college football, the NFL, and Major League Baseball without Bo Jackson. He's that important of a figure. He's that important of a figure to to athletics in America. And and it's so fascinating to play the what-if game because I think he would have been a Michael Jordan-type figure had he not had a, a catastrophic hip injury um, and had that shorten his career. I think that... In in modern with modern medicine and modern training, if Bo Jackson grew up these days, Bo Jackson would be something we have never ever seen, and he would be take Tyreek Hill and Derrick Henry and make them the same person, and that's what you would have seen Bo Jackson, and that's the feel that I get from talking to Jeff, and it really this is a story that needs to be tell, told, and I I'm very happy that it seems to be as comprehensive as we've seen anybody do it. Uh, I mean, you had the, the ESPN 30 for 30. You've had Bo Jackson write his own autobiography. But I think this may be the most complete source for everything Bo Jackson. 
I mean, we talk about Auburn football on this program every single day, 365 days a year. We talk Auburn football in this town. Bo Jackson is is Auburn football. He is Auburn football history. He has a statue outside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. He if is. If you're making a Mount Rushmore of Auburn football, he is the first head on on Mount Rushmore. Not just Auburn football. How about a Mount Rushmore of Auburn athletics? Oh, Auburn yeah. athletes, I mean, Bo Jackson is on it. He is one of the four on there. And it was incredibly important, I think, for us to be able to have Jeff Perlman in studio to talk about this book. We're an Auburn radio station. We're an Auburn sports talk show. And we just had Jeff Perlman, the New York Times bestselling author, who just wrote The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, a complete biography of one of the best to ever do it to join the show. Fantastic stuff from Jeff Perlman. If you missed it, go and find the podcast, search on the line, or go to ESPNAU.com. Hour number one officially in the books. Come back. We're going to have a lot of college football talk in hour number two. You are on the line, live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Friday, everybody. It's been a busy one here on On the Line Man, it's been a great Friday so far. We've had great guests. Our bug, our good buddy Jack Hudden is joining us in the studio for all of hour number two. How are you, buddy? Howdy, fellas. Y'all doing all right? We are doing fantastic here on this Friday. It's a little... Uh, Jack, I'm doing great. How are you? Man, <laughs> I couldn't be better. You know, you know Carter gets excited. <laughs> really got that sentence out there clean. <laughs> wow. You know Carter gets excited when, when Jack Hudden shows up. So it's a great oh, Friday. Man. Jack's been joining us in studio every single Friday for the second hour, talking all things college football. Look, man, it's been a great Friday. We continue uh, on here in hour number two. The first hour, it's in the books. That means hour number two is officially underway here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour, if there's ever a time that you go back and listen to the podcast, it is today on this Friday, October 20th. 2022 the first 30 minutes we had jeff perlman the new york times best-selling author in the studio talking about his brand new book the last folk hero the life and myth of bo jackson the biography about bo jackson he has 720 sources in this book talking about bo jackson and the legend that is bo jackson the myth is the word that he used quite a bit the myth of bo jackson because that's what this oh, guy yeah. is and then i mean i mean i've I heard him talk about the book on a couple other interviews, and the reason why he he says the last folk hero is because back then, like, you have these single camera games being covered. Like when he makes the throw against, I believe it's what the Mariners to to gun Harold Reynolds out at the at the plate. Yeah, from, you don't from, even from you the don't even see wall. some frames of it. Yeah, you don't. You never see him let go of the ball because <laughs> like. It's just not on film. And so 
there there are almost folk hero like characteristics to his playing career. And my the, favorite in in that clip is the announcer. I don't know who it is, but but he goes, he can't do it. Yes, he can. Yes, like, he that's can. how he calls it. And I love that because it's just this disbelief of, are you kidding me? How? Right, <laughs> right. And of course, the title, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. It's not the life of Bo Jackson. It's the life and myth of Bo Jackson. So if you missed the first 30 minutes of the show today, we had Jeff Perlman in studio. He has a book signing, 530 at the Auburn Oil Company. Uh, if you want to go buy the book, have him sign it, talk to him. He was absolutely fantastic. We had an... We we had a blast talking to him for the first 30 minutes. Then we had Andrew Ellis of Hawksports.com of Arkansas 247 joined us on the phone lines to talk about Auburn and Arkansas tomorrow. We talked that, previewed basketball season a little bit, so we always appreciate him coming on. Had a fantastic time with him as well. And now, here in hour number two, we're going to talk all things college football, make our Friday selections with Jack Cudden. We'll talk Auburn-Arkansas at 3.30 and make our final picks and predictions for the game tomorrow. But... Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. If you want to call in, be a part of the show, we'd love to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Jack, you said you have a story about Bo yeah, Jackson yeah. before we get into some of our college football picks. Yeah, so I, I think it's cool that, you know, especially guys and, and people our age, um, we kind of grew up in that time where we were we were a good bit after Bo Jackson, so we didn't get to see him live. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but my parents both were in school at the same time that Bo Jackson was, and um, with my, my last name Hudden H U. So when they were sitting alphabetically, he was right beside my dad in one of his classes H U and J A. And it's funny to hear my dad talk about him. He will tell me that Bo was one of the shyest guys in the classroom. Didn't like to talk. Didn't really like to kind of be, you know, around people very often. Um, I don't think he had a, a huge problem with it. He just didn't do it very often. And he said it was like watching day at night, day and night on the field versus in the classroom because you just saw this aggressive kind of, for lack of a better term, a monster come out on um, on college game days. But then. In the classroom, you'd see this much more just laid back, uh, kind of cerebral guy in the class. And I just think that's really interesting kind of to, to go back and, you know, you talk about the myth of Bo Jackson, you know, having him there and kind of seeing the differences of here's how I am in my real life, but here's here's how I turned it on on the field. It's really neat to kind of uh, hear my dad and just different people who have met him talk about it. Well, I feel like this book, the, again, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, written by Jeff Perlman, I feel like that's exactly what this book is going to be. It's just story after story and example after example of stuff just like that about who Bo Jackson was, what he did during his playing career, uh, high school, Auburn, in the pros, professional football, baseball. I mean, this guy is just, he's he is Auburn football. And uh, it's really exciting to get into this book. And like I said, I'm about a chapter into it. We just got our books yesterday. I'm really excited to read this book. So make sure you go and pick it up. I think it's going to be a really, really good one. Uh, Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author. It was a lot of fun talking to him. But let's get into some college football, fellas. We've got games going on this weekend. And... There's some big ones around college football. There's some big ones around the SEC. Well, we had Utah win last night in what was an ugly game, 21-17 over Washington State. Uh, Utah, they're 6-2, and two, but it's not really pretty. This was a team that had big expectations in the Pac-12, and I just don't know where they go from. I mean, they win the football game, but it wasn't pretty. I mean, they're 6-2, they're 4-1 and two, four and one in the conference, and they beat USC. I don't think we should just... We should almost uh, chalk this up to to the fact that Cam Rising did not play in the game. I think that that probably affects a lot of it. 
Uh, and they've been banged up this year. And anytime you go to Pullman, Washington State's capable of just figuring out a weird way to beat anybody. It's kind of like when you see teams in the Big Ten go to Ames. I mean, play Iowa State. Iowa State finds a way once or twice a year to pull off a really weird upset. And I think they got a decent shot at that this week, if I recall. Yeah. Interesting stat in this game. Cam Ward, who was at one time an Auburn target at quarterback for Washington State, goes 27 for 31, completing almost all of his passes on the night. Really interesting stat from a guy that was just last year playing, what was it, like Division Three college football? At I think, incarnate like Word. Yeah, yeah, whatever it was. Wow. <laughs> That's a trivia question right there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And then NC State and Virginia Tech in what was an ugly first half. Oh, my goodness. It was horrible. It's three points. I mean, they just traded punts. It was terrible. It was a horrible game. But NC State wins 22-21. Let's get into the games going on this weekend in college football. It starts at 11 a.m. Obviously, Auburn and Arkansas will be playing. But on another TV, you can put on Ohio State and Penn State. Number two, Ohio State at number 13, Penn State. It's 11 a.m. on Fox, the big noon kickoff. This is a massive game in the Big Ten. This is a chance for Penn State to prove that they are a legitimate team in this conference, but this is also a chance for Ohio State to show just how dominant they are. Ohio State played the best defense that they're going to see all year last week in Iowa and won that game 54-10. to So And turned the ball over and kind of had a rough game. I don't think Penn State has anywhere near the 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 Jimmys and Joes to compete with this Ohio State team, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., too many weapons for Ohio State. They're going to score a ton of points. They're going to put up something in the 40s. Uh, they might even flirt with 50 again. And if they do that, I mean, Penn, Penn State might score 24. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. C.J. Stroud has been really good. He's a Heisman candidate for a reason. He's um, the favorite to yeah, win the Heisman exactly. for a reason. Sean Clifford is going to have to play one of the best games he's played, even better than he played against Auburn twice uh, to win this one. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll take Ohio State. The 15-point line is kind of interesting because I think there is a world in which Penn State loses in this one by two touchdowns. Um, I don't know what I'd take there, but just overall, I'd take the Buckeyes. Yeah, look, Ohio State, 7-0, and 4-0 in Big Ten play. It's them in Michigan, guys. I yeah. mean, let's just talk, let's just say it like it is. It's Ohio State and Michigan, and it's probably going to be just Ohio State at the end. I mean, I think Ohio State is too good. I think they've got too much talent. C.J. Stroud, you guys already talked about it. He is a Heisman favorite. He may be the Heisman favorite, depending on which book you're looking at. Ohio State wins, and they're going to win big. I don't care that it's at Penn State. The fact that this is not a night game, not a whiteout game, I think that hurts Penn State big time yeah, because they have, they have fed on that so many times against Ohio State in the past. This is an 11 a.m. kick. Ohio State's going to be ready. I think their talent's just way too good. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The, the the fact that it's not a night game and it's not they don't get to do their wide out crowd uh, i know they did that last week i think against minnesota but the fact that it wasn't this week i think somebody screwed the pooch with well <laughs> with i Penn think state. it's it's them understanding that they aren't good enough to compete with ohio state and they aren't going to win this game by the way jack do you know what james franklin's record is against ohio state at penn state not off the top of my head no one and seven is it really but do you also know what his record is against the spread is it seven and one or six and two? <laughs> wow. Yep. Good gosh. So, so, Ohio, so, so yeah. he finds a way to keep it close more often than not. Which yeah, is what exactly. Jack was talking about. Ohio State's a 15 point favorite. 
it is kind of big, but I'm with Carter. I think Ohio State wins big here, yeah. fellas. Moving on in some of the other games going on around college football tomorrow. Uh, you've got TCU at West Virginia. I don't think that the line's seven and a half. I don't which know is, how this which one feels very low. It does feel very low. TCU is a good football team. They're, they're number seven in the country. They're undefeated. They are the Big 12's uh, main hope for a college football playoff berth. I think TCU wins pretty Look, handily. It's, this game is interesting because of the fact that West Virginia has had games where they've put up a decent amount of points, and TCU's beaten a whole lot of backup quarterbacks so far this year, <laughs> and that's kind of been the story. I mean, they did it again last week against Kansas State. Uh, so what happens in this one? I think Neil Brown at West Virginia kind of has his back against the wall. This is almost a must-win kind of game for him. And I don't know if he's able to, to do it. I think TCU's just too good and will get this win on Saturday. Yep, I like Quentin Johnston too much from TCU. He kind of came out of nowhere, uh, I believe it was against Kansas, where he just was making some incredible catches. Has kept up that against uh, even Oklahoma State where he showed out. He's got 38 catches for a little over 570 yards on the year. He's going to end up with a couple more touchdowns in this one. I think the Horned Frogs, I think they actually roll in this one. I do too. I got TCU big again in this one. I think uh, TCU, like I said, they are – they are the Big 12's main hope for a college football playoff team. I think they roll. Uh, I think they take care of West Virginia on the road. I don't see this being uh, super, super competitive. Getting into the 2.30 hour tomorrow, Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville. Florida is massive underdogs in this one. Georgia is 23 and a half. That has gone up since the last time we talked about this game a day or two ago. Georgia is 23 and a half point favorites against Florida tomorrow. The total's 56 and a half. What do you guys think in here? I want to know if Carter is is going to ask why he's making us pick this game. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is a rivalry game. Sure. You gotta last, talk about it. <laughs> what was it? Last week when we were talking about Ohio State and Iowa, yeah. that was a joke. And it played out over the course of the game when it was a 45 four-point margin of victory. Ohio State covered the over-under by themselves. Last week was a terrible week of college football. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This week is worse. I don't think so. I 100% think so. But uh, in this one right here, look, it's a rivalry game. I think Florida has enough to make it interesting. I think it'll end up being a two-score win for for Georgia, but 23.5 is insane. I think Anthony Richardson can figure out enough on the offensive side of the ball and and kind of attack Georgia with maybe some stuff that they haven't seen so far this year. And look, we, we talked about it with Jordan Hill early, earlier this week. These next like four games for, for Georgia, they're going to get hit with completely different offenses each week. And I think somebody in this stretch is going to give them a really tough game. I'm not sure Florida is the one to to take them down to the wire, but I do think that they can keep it within two scores. I think I agree with you there. Um, I think I could probably see something like a 35 to, I don't know, 13, 14 game happening where it's right at that spread line, but Florida's going to keep it under that. Um, I think 23 and a half is a little too high. So uh, I'll take, I would take Florida on the line, but uh, I think, yeah, the dogs are going to roll. I mean, that offense is clicking now. Stetson Bennett's thrown for over 2,000 yards. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Georgia to roll and, and stay at number one. I like where, where Carter was going, where Florida is going to keep this thing closer than 23 and a half. I, I have not seen anything from Georgia this year that tells me they can beat Florida by 23 and a half points. Mm-hmm. I mean, they obviously they beat Auburn by a lot, but the first half, it was a very, very close game, and Auburn's offense just couldn't score, and the defense gave out. While, while I agree that 
Yes, Georgia has has not shown a consistency to show that they can beat Florida by 23 and a half or more. Week one does exist, guys. It does. They it beat, does. They beat a top 10 team in Oregon by 46. But that's been the best highlight of their year. They have gotten, they've gone down since but, that but, game. But they've shown you they can do it. I'm, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. But, right. but I think that while I think Tennessee is better than Georgia right now, there is a ceiling version of Georgia that we saw and we haven't seen again. If they can get back there, they will be playing Ohio State for a national championship this year. Well, come out and do it tomorrow against Florida, right? I mean, that that would be – and that's a really good point. If Georgia comes out and dominates Florida tomorrow from start to finish and they win by 25 points, then, yeah, you, you've got me convinced, okay – this is the team we've seen from week one when they just made Oregon embarrassed on national television. Georgia has got to prove it to me again. Not that they don't have athletes or anything like that. They are a really good football team. They are still a top five team in college football. I mean, they're the number one team in the country. Are they playing like it right now? Maybe not, but they're still the number one team. I think they win. They beat Florida. I don't think they win by 23 and a half. That just seems like a lot of points in this rivalry game where Florida, I think, will make it interesting. Uh, But Georgia needs a good game because they've got Tennessee next week. And if they don't play well, Tennessee is going to feed off of that. Listen to the spread from between the Georgia defense and the Georgia offense. Points per game. They're scoring 42 points a game. They're giving up 9.1 points per game. That's a, a spread of... Golly, what is that, 33, 32, 33 points? I mean, they're, on average, they're winning games by 33 points. That's a lot. And so I think that there's some, uh, I think that there's some, I guess, reason why you could see the 23-and-a-half spread, but I don't think Florida is going to be that much of a pushover. I agree. I think we all have Georgia winning, but that's a lot of spread, and that's a lot of points to win by for Georgia in this game. We'll see. I think it'll be a good one, 2.30 tomorrow on CBS. we got to get to our first break in hour number two. We'd love to hear from you. I know it's been busy, but the phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. More college football picks here on On the Line when we come back. are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Friday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, joined by Jack Hudden in studio for all of our number two. 334-321-1390 is the number to get to us if you want to call in, make any kind of picks or predictions for Auburn, Arkansas, for any of the other games going on around college football tomorrow as we continue on with our picks. We just talked about Georgia and Florida. Uh, Oregon on the road at Cal. I don't see this one being very competitive, but how about Bo Nix, man? I know he's playing in the Pac-12, but he's playing really, really good football. This is the best we've seen him play in his whole career. And he's playing himself into an NFL draft pick now, and and a pretty high one at that. I mean, I'll... Is he wait, on? Like, wait a are there any dry, like mock boards up right now of where he could go? I'm not sure. I, I just just he's, from the eye, he's test. helping his stock. Yeah, for definitely. Sure. Oh, he's help. I mean, you couldn't get it. Uh, to be honest, you couldn't make it a whole lot worse. His draft stock was not good at Auburn. Not saying he wasn't a good quarterback here, but uh, nobody in the NFL was going to draft Bo Nix as a quarterback based off his performance at Auburn. I'm not. I'm not ready to say yet that he's having a Joe Burrow season where he went from a seventh round UDFA grade to the number one pick in the draft I'm not going to say that no yet. I don't think no, so but, but with with the way he's playing he has moved himself into I believe he has the fifth or sixth best odds to win the Heisman Trophy right now yeah which if they keep winning that's only going to go up could you imagine 
He's going to, he's, <laughs> Mark, mark my words here. Bo Nix is going to get an invite to New York and He'll Auburn be fans in New York are going City. to have a stroke about it. I tweeted it last week. I think we need to start watching out for Bo Nix being, being in, being in New York at the end of the it's year. It's going to be I Bo Nix, Hendon Hooker, and CJ Stroud. Yep. And wow. then maybe Bryce Young. But Probably again, <laughs> but again, think about what the Heisman Trophy is. It's not just your performance; it's based off of how your team is doing as well. So that's so not supposed to be. It's but, not supposed but, to be, but, that but is it is. What it is. Yeah. So if Oregon continues to start winning football games, and the more that they win, and the better they look doing it, the better they look doing it, that will help their case to kind of have people forget about that Georgia game in the beginning of the year, right? If they continue to dominate the Pac-12 and do what they're doing. People will slowly start taking the Georgia game out of the equation. Not that it should be fully taken out, because even though it's the first game, it still is a game on the schedule. I do think people will slowly take that out of the equation for Bo Nix. Look, they play at Cal tomorrow. Not worried about that one. There's a big game in the Big 12, though. Oklahoma State, the number nine team in the country, 6-1, 3-1 in the Big 12, plays at number 22, Kansas State. They're 5-2, 3-1 in Big 12 play. Kansas State fell short against TCU last week. This one has major Big 12 implications. This entire game comes down to who's playing quarterback for Kansas State. Is it is it Howard again or is it Adrian Martinez? If it's Adrian Martinez, I've got K State winning this game, but but because of the question mark there, I I can't ignore the the consistency and what can we talk about what Mike Gundy has done at Oklahoma State? So at Oklahoma State, what he first rose there, he he brought their level up to a top twenty five team every year. And then slowly over time, they became a top 15 team every year. And right now, they're a top 10 team every year, y'all. And they're, they're really good. And I think that if Adrian Martinez is hampered, banged up, anything below 90 95%, Oklahoma State's going to win this game. If it's the backup, it's Oklahoma State easy. Yeah, I agree to an extent. But I, I will say this, though. Ever since Auburn played in Manhattan in 2014, I got a better understanding of of what it means the stadium itself kind of sits in a way that the noise is not just bouncing off the stadium it's bouncing off everything around the stadium and it's keeping it loud there I think it's a really tough place to play um you know I could see I could see Deuce Vaughn going for a big time game in this one I don't were you at that game uh yes I was wow yeah so um so I could see Deuce Vaughn going off pretty well in this one. Um, I, I think that Kansas State's got enough to keep him around. For the fun of it, I'll pick the Wildcats. Well, just hey, to pick my Kansas State Wildcats. Jack, character. I don't know if you know this. According to the Texas A&M graphics department, uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium does sit inside apparently the Grand Canyon, if y'all recall that last year. <laughs> yeah, I do. That was I the dumbest that. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some social media intern got fired that day, unfortunately. But uh, look, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, this one – Massive Big 12 implications. We talked about TCU a little bit ago, how they are the Big 12's uh, front runner for a college football playoff spot. But if Oklahoma State can win this football game, they will be alive as well. If Kansas State wins, it'll be all down to TCU if the Big 12 wants to be represented in the playoff this year. I like Oklahoma State. Uh, they are my Big 12 champion pick from the beginning of the year. I'm still riding with them. I think their defense has gotten better. It was obviously abysmal to start the season, but it's gotten better. I think uh, Sanders is a fantastic quarterback. He's thrown for over 2,000 yards. He is the real deal. Kansas State being favored in this game? No, there's just no shot. Even if Martinez does play, 
I still like Oklahoma State to win this game outright on the road at Kansas State to keep their Big 12 and college football playoffs hopes alive. We so got a couple s- minutes. Are oh, you go saying, ahead. Sorry, are you saying no shot Kansas State wins it? Are you saying no shot as in you don't think they should be favored? Both. Both, okay. Oklahoma State wow. wins no matter this what is, quarterback plays for Kansas State. This is wow. disrespectful to what Kansas State is it this is. year. Oklahoma he's State been, wins this been, football game. He's been disrespecting K-State for weeks, and he's just saying that to fire us up, Jack. And we've never wavered once, Carter, have we? <laughs> Besides that one week that we, we, that we casually <laughs> turned, turned our, our, our attention to Kansas. To the other side of the state, yeah. Well, that's all right. Look, Oklahoma State wins this football game. I'm just telling you. They're, they're going to win. They're going to look good doing it, and they're going to keep their college football playoff hopes alive. Uh, we got a couple minutes before we start talking Auburn and Arkansas. Looking at some other games going on around college football. How about this one in the SEC? Number 19, Kentucky, on the road at number 3, Tennessee. 7-0, 3-0 in SEC play. Look, Kentucky, they're... They would have to do some magical, magical things at the end of this year to to keep big postseason hopes alive. Of course, one of their losses is without Will Levis. They go on the road to Tennessee Saturday night, 6 o'clock on ESPN. It's going to be a tough game for the Wildcats. It's a look-ahead spot because Georgia-Tennessee is next week. So if Tennessee's not all the way focused on this game, handling the task at hand, Kentucky can hang in there and make this a four-quarter game and be right there at the very end. They're absolutely capable of it. But if Tennessee is focused focused and executes their plan, I don't see a way that Kentucky can score enough points to hang with this Tennessee team. Tennessee's too explosive in the passing game. Hendon Hooker, he's got weapons all over the place. Best deep ball thrower in the country. And I think you're you're going to see that in this game uh, on Saturday night, and I've got Tennessee kind of handily by two plus scores winning this this game. I think the difference in quarterback play for this one is Will Levis is a guy that's going to get drafted. He means he's going he's going to be a prototypical NFL quarterback. Hendon Hooker is a guy that's going to win the Heisman, and he's going to be able to go into the NFL with ease. I think Hendon Hooker was that a slight or a little uh, prediction right there? Yeah, maybe a little wow. prediction there. Yeah, uh, so. he he has the second best odds to win the Heisman, but like right now, I mean. The heavy favorite is C.J. Stroud. He's mm-hmm. he's negative money. Yeah, and so, it, it, honestly, I don't know if it was a prediction. I was just saying it that loud. But, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I like Will Levis to go in and, and play well, but Hinton Hooker in that offense is too good. Hooker has 18 touchdowns. Jalen Hyatt has caught 12 of them. That dude's a boss. It's ridiculous. Tennessee, I think they're just too good offensively, like Carter said. I think they beat Kentucky pretty easily down the stretch. 30 more minutes on this Friday afternoon. We're going to talk Auburn-Arkansas when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on this Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds it at the back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, joined by Jack Cutton in studio for all of our number two. Let's get to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. Wow, excuse me. Terry, happy Friday, man. Happy Friday, Jacob. Carter, Jack, how y'all doing? We're doing fantastic, man. man. Terry, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. It's Friday. How bad can it be? That's, That's right. right Amen. Hey, Terry. And it's before, pretty awesome. Hey, before you get going, I got to apologize. So last week you called in, and I'm pretty sure that you were agreeing with me, and I thought that you were saying the opposite thing, so I started arguing against you. So <laughs> I confused no, wait, myself. Wait, wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. What, what did I agree with you on? Uh, it was something about we were talking about mobile versus dual threat quarterbacks, and okay. I realized uh, about halfway through that you were talking that you were uh, you were supporting me. So I appreciate the support there, Terry. <laughs> no worries. I'm always glad to do it. Um, Guys, I, I don't know where y'all coming from. I think Tennessee's going to thump Kentucky tomorrow. I mean, thump them hard. I, Terry, I I agree if they're focused, but it, it is such a spot because everybody wants to talk about Georgia-Tennessee next week. Everybody wants to. Right. Nobody right. wants to talk about Tennessee-Kentucky, and we've seen yeah. where that jumps up and bites teams sometimes. Which I hate because at the beginning of the year, this Kentucky team was supposed to be a legitimate threat to win the East, and of course an injury to Will Levis kind of hurts their chances to do that. I still think Kentucky's a sneaky good team. I just think Tennessee is way too good. I'm with you, Terry. I think Tennessee's a lot like the Auburn 2013 team. They're just focused no matter what. I just think they have a goal in mind, and there's nothing going to get in their way. Well, I, we'll see. We're about to find out in the next two weeks, though, right? I mean, they've, yeah, they've already right. beaten Alabama, but you're really going to find out if this Tennessee team is legit. If they go out and take care of business tomorrow against Kentucky and then give Georgia a run for their money and, and win the game by all else, I mean, Tennessee has a real chance to prove how good they are. Oh, I think Tennessee beats Kentucky tomorrow by at least 28. Hey, here's a wow. here's a uh, hot take for you. I think the best thing for Tennessee in terms of trying to get this college football playoff lose the Georgia game this week and very slightly losing the uh, Georgia game and being able to cruise and kind of sit and not have to play that and SEC do what Alabama game. did. Mm-hmm. I think that is the best path for for them. Personally. When Alabama had their path in seventeen to their fake national championship. Yep. When they didn't have to play the SEC championship game. That, yeah. That's when the they, first time I've heard they, that be brought up. And it's they, interesting. When they lost the, the the division, they lost the SEC West, but won the uh, national championship. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've still got my T-shirt that says Auburn twenty six national champion fourteen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we learning now more than ever that Bo Nix probably should have made a better decision and went to another school besides Auburn? Gus Malzahn had developed a quarterback yet, and he never went to. He never was going to. So I just think he would have been better off, regardless of what I think or what I know, quite honestly, about him you know, seeking other places. I think he was an Auburn guy. I don't deny that. But I think he would have been better off. I think that's obvious now. For his career, I think you can make that argument. He was always going to come to Auburn, obviously. But I've made that argument. Somebody, The biggest argument I make for that is Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham made the worst decision for his football career by coming to Auburn. I will die on that hill. Auburn, he got no better at Auburn. None. I mean, he is the same quarterback he was when he showed up. I mean, he could have gone to Texas A&M and gotten the same thing, though. That was the other option. (laughs) Right, but I mean... Uh, he, he was, was at, Baylor. at Baylor, but when he went to junior college, it came down to A&M and Auburn, and he, A&M chose Kellen Mond, and Kellen Mond was the same guy for four years, basically. But uh, when, you, when you look at Gus Malzahn's career, I actually, a couple years ago, I looked at this. I don't think he has developed a high school quarterback over his entire career. Every quarterback that has been good, he has either inherited at a job or has been a junior college or a transfer that has come in and kind of immediately been solid. I don't think he I legitimately don't think he has a high school quarterback that he has developed himself in his entire coaching career at the college level. Well the point I try to make Carter is he had Nick Marshall went eleven and two and next year he goes seven and five. So he took him backwards because he yeah. wanted to prove he could pass and not run. And, and Nick Marshall bailed him out several times in thirteen. Yeah, no doubt. 
Yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, and as far yeah. as Jared Sinem goes, I'm the, you know how players get drafted every year, and they always they, they never say they want to go to a certain team, but you know in their heart they grew up a certain fan. I thought the Jared Sinem draft to New, New England was perfect because selfish and arrogant deserve selfish and arrogant. Take care, guys. <laughs> we appreciate you calling in. That's Terry here on On the Line with a bombshell Whoa. on the way out. I really, I was about to agree with him until he, he threw in the, the selfish and arrogant stuff yeah, on the end of it. You, for dip, some man. reason... Way more than I think anybody anybody else in this room. You love Jared Stidham. I do. I really like Jared Stidham. And I really thought that him getting drafted to New England was the best place for him to go. Uh, it obviously didn't work out. He's with the what the Raiders now? He's, He's with Las Vegas. For the for the Raiders. With yeah. the with an offensive line that can block their own shadow for the most part. I think Jared Stidham's a good quarterback. I think he's good. I do too. I don't think he's great. I think All he's right. good. Here's a question for you. Would Jared Stidham start this season for the New England Patriots? Think he could? I think he would definitely get a shot. Yeah, I think he would get a shot. I don't know. The problem though is I don't know how much he's developed as an NFL player because he hasn't gotten to play a lot. Yeah. He's always had that guy in front of him, and he's had his chances. Don't get me wrong. He just hasn't become that guy yet. So I don't know. We I don't to, know. We seem to see highlights every year in the preseason. It's something to do with Jarrett Stidham. What a play! He throws on the run, going to his right to a guy who's in the middle of triple coverage and fits it into a window, and he never gets to play. And in then the, the depth chart comes out. He's second or third. He gets to do an actual game. And he throws like instant yeah. pick sixes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Exactly. Fair enough. But I thought you were going to ask if he would start for Auburn, and I was like, okay, let's let's he would not. St- oh, come on. I know. Well, I, I thought that's where you were going with the question, and I was going to be like, really? I take but, Sean White right now. Yeah. Would you take Jeremy Johnson right now? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, absolutely not. I, to, to me, no, that's we, what you we, have we already with, have TJ Finley. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what you have with TJ Finley. <laughs> Who is number two. So, <laughs> absolutely not. But, look, fellas, let's get into Auburn and Arkansas a little bit. Terry, we, we appreciate you calling in. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, you can call in as well, 334-321-1390. Auburn, Arkansas, tomorrow, 11 a.m. You guys will be watching it here in the studio because you'll be going live for after the game right after the game is over, right around 2.30 or so. Brought to you by like Urgent that. Care Clinic. I don't think I ever would have known that after the game was after the game. If you didn't know, now you do. <laughs> now you do. Now you know that the show is after my plans the game. Now, <laughs> oh, were you, were you going to go live before? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Look, yeah. Auburn, Arkansas, 11 a.m. These guys will be live right here in the studio around 2.30, but it's as soon as the game is over, Auburn, Arkansas, it's after the game here on ESPN 106.7. It's all brought to you by Urgent Care Clinic. These guys have done a great job all season long. They will be uh, here talking about Auburn, Arkansas. But let's preview it a little bit. Of course, Arkansas four and three. They're one and three in conference play. Auburn three and four, one and three in conference play. This is a game uh, where both programs they need a win in the conference. Uh, of course, Arkansas coming off of their win against BYU on the road, uh, that could have been a sneaky game for them. They handled business. They put up points. Uh, they looked pretty good doing it. Of course, Auburn coming out of their bye week on a three-game losing streak. Uh, this is a game, man. Auburn Auburn needs it. They need it bad. Not that it's going to save Brian Harson, but I think just for a moral victory more than anything else. If you want a chance on this planet to make a bowl game, this is a must-win game. Yep. And, and and that that's not even discussing to save Brian Harson's job because Brian Harson would have to win out and then fall in favor of somebody uh, that somebody that he's not currently in favor of in order to save his job. But uh, when I look at this game, where is Auburn at me- mentally? A lot's been made about the departures from the roster. What's going on behind closed doors? 
I don't know how how this team is going to respond. What concerns me in this country right now, Arkansas runs the ball more than any team that is not a service academy. Auburn just gave up 448 yards on the ground to Ole Miss. They are facing the SEC's leading rusher in uh, Rocket Sanders. K.J. Jefferson can make Auburn pay on the ground as well. Arkansas is going to run a lot. They're going to run early. They're going to run often. They're going to run the whole game. Auburn just rotated five defensive linemen for 89 plays two weeks ago. If Auburn does that again, Arkansas is going to roll in this game. I was just about to say that. I think Auburn has got to stick to a front in this game that's going to be consistent you got to also get better linebacker play. For the last couple of weeks, you've seen guys who both are very highly ranked guys when they came out of high school. They both were. Wesley Steiner and Owen Papo, they have not played up to their potential. You know what's fascinating, though? Go ahead. Papo made the senior bowls all-riser team yeah. for, for players that have – because they keep a draft board, and that's how they help pick their uh, the uh, senior bowl rosters. Mm-hmm. And the all-riser team is, is people who've had their stock rise – Two rounds or more this year. How about that? I think this is by far Owen Papo's worst year in his career at all. I would say, to, is it a technique thing, I guess, that they're seeing? Or, I think I it's mean, a, what is it? athletics, or yeah. athletic ability and measurables. Yeah. I think like he's going to test at the NFL Combine out of this world. He will probably be the most athletic linebacker at the NFL Combine. But yeah. his on-field performance has not been what we know Owen Papo can be. What... I guess gives me some sort of confidence for this game is and not certainty per se, but any sort of confidence, whatever. Auburn ran the ball a whole lot better last week. Granted, it's against an old miss team that had been giving up a lot of rushing yards beforehand. However, you're starting to see some pieces come into form that you may be able to build on in coming years. Jeremiah Wright comes in, has a big game. Excuse me, two weeks ago, not last week. Jeremiah Wright comes in and has a really good game. I believe at that right guard spot was that was he, can't remember if he was right or left guard. I think he was right guard. I think he was playing right guard. But um, he's not in the starting lineup, according to the no, depth chart. Yeah, yeah, and that's the Which, biggest what, thing. What, what is like, that? Why on earth? Yeah, and I, w- once again, another one of these decisions where you go, where does that come from? It's a I head mean, scratcher. Yeah, it really is, and they seem to be happening more and more now. I mean, it, it seems like they're piling up. Is it a, is it a we don't want to admit that we were really dumb by not – Starting him all year long, yeah, and so, so we're putting him on the two deep. That's we're such just, a we're gonna slowly so, ease him in. That's such a horrible reason, though. I know like, that's so bad. If I that's wouldn't the case. put it past the staff. I'm telling you, no, I wouldn't either. He is a guy that I think if you're Auburn, if if you're the next coaching staff, he's a guy that you can maybe not build the offensive line around, but you at least can say, okay, we got a guy who we know can start. Granted. That's all assuming that he plays the way he did this past a couple weeks ago against Ole Miss. I know we're only taking one game. We were saying the same thing about Keandre Jones, and Keandre Jones is having his worst year of his career Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, Yeah. and that speaks to development again. You know, what has Auburn got out of development on the offensive line? Coach Will Friend, you know, recruiting. He was supposed to be a big recruiter. Hasn't really done that very well. Well, he he went out on the road for the first time this yes, year uh, during grief. the bye week, by the well, way. And, and Same Auburn with Bedell. Makes a, <laughs> Auburn makes a big deal about this recruiting weekend. They made graphics for out on the road. for, And it was like all of the coaches that had yeah. been out on the road. I was like, yeah. this is tough. Well, and it's that's – that's a regular recruiting weekend for Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU. The teams you're recruiting against are doing that every weekend. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're sitting there having a meeting 
as coordinators the night before, yeah, it helps. But when you're three and four, obviously something isn't working. And so you, you may as well go And recruit. the way you fix that is you go get the guys You go get for the it, dudes. And you can't get the guys if no. you don't go talk to the guys. Yeah, so I, I, to to kind of sum up thoughts on the game, it, it seems like Auburn is going to be – I think they'll be able to run the ball in this one actually pretty well. I do think so. Uh, Tank and Jarquez have both been good at uh, yards after carry. I think there's some graphic. Auburn's leading the SEC in yards after contact. Obviously so because you've because got two really good running backs running and you've backs. got a bad offensive line. And they get hit as soon as they touch the yeah. football. So I think this could be closer than what a lot of the maybe national media would pick. I know the spread's only three and a half, um, but I think I think more national media are going to pick Arkansas in this game. Uh, I'm still kind of waffling on it, actually. Well, I, we'll I still make picks think in a minute. Aub- I still think that Auburn's got a shot in this. Um, if it was a night game, I think I'd have a little bit more confidence in Jordan Hare. But, you know, the 11 a.m. game has, has certainly not been and Auburn's what, friend. What's the environment like? What right. is the yeah. crowd right. like? Right, something we've talked about quite a bit this week. Look, I go back to, to what Carter talked about. What is the mindset of this Auburn football team? How are the coaches feeling? How do the players feel? How does Brian Harson feel, right? I mean, how, how do these guys come into this football game? What has practice been like this week? What has preparation been like this week? What is Saturday morning look like for everybody walking into the stadium, going through warm-ups, going through your pregame routine? Uh, is everybody in the, in the screw-it mode, or is everybody in the, all right, let's see what we can do type of thing? And knowing that you have a chance to pick up a win against Arkansas because Auburn can win this football game uh they can win this game but if they don't prepare and if they're not ready and they're not motivated and don't have the right mindset Arkansas is going to blow your doors off if you're not ready because they can run the football they can score and if Auburn doesn't have the right game plan offensively then you're just going to stall like we've seen all season long. So that's what comes back to me for Auburn. What's the mindset, the mentality like for this Auburn team? Again, I think they can win this football game. They can if they do. Look, defense has got to play better, right? They absolutely have to play better than they did against Ole Miss. If the offense continues to realize, hey, we should run the football, I think they're going to do that. I think they'll be fine. Put Robbie Ashford in situations to to succeed rather than scramble and have to throw it away and, and, and throw interceptions. Exceptions. I think Auburn has to avoid that as well. Look, we'll make our picks when we come back. We'll also get to the phone lines, wrap up this Friday edition of On the Line. 334-321-1390 is the number. We'll come back and wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line. What is happening in this studio on this Friday? Jacob go with Carter Bird. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line. Let's get to the phone lines, though. 334-321-1390. Tie the tie. You're on the line, man. Welcome in. What's up, guys? Sorry I didn't catch most of the, the beginning of the show, but uh, you know, I just wanted to call in and talk about Hugh Freeze, man. I guess he's off the off the board now, huh? Yeah, yeah. We haven't really gotten a chance. It's been a busy day on the show. We actually haven't really gotten into that just yet. Uh, but yes, Hugh Freeze, he signs an extension with Liberty today. Well, I, I him the highest the highest Power Five coach or non Power G5, Five. G five, yeah, yeah. I, I I think it does. Uh, what's interesting is uh, I know that on paper. It looks like this would take... I still don't think he's going to be the coach for, for other reasons. I'm not sure that his buyout really changed. I've, I've, I've seen some some people talking about it. I think the buyout may stay the same. He's just getting more money, and it's fully guaranteed on the Liberty end of things. I think he... 
if somebody still wanted to hire him, I think he's still extremely hireable, and it's not going to be that difficult to do. That's what I was going. That's actually what I was calling to ask because I I saw I read a couple articles on it, and they kept talking about his salary, but that nobody ever mentioned what it would take for a, a Power Five to come get him. Uh, but they you know did mention obviously Arizona State, us, and a couple and two others that was probably looking um, at him. But I mean, you know. I just think for him to like, – obviously, you know, he – I mean, you know, we know it's not supposed to be talked to or whatever, but I'm sure somebody has talked to this guy if they were really going to hire him. Well, um, you know, I told you – I told you from the – I told you two months ago, I've been uh, – you know, I know he bought a lake house at Lake Martin, which to me, that's what sold me that he was coming. <laughs> you don't well, buy a house Well, I mean, both, both of his daughters – both of his daughters go to Auburn and – for some reason, coaches everywhere seem to love Lake Martin, so that's not as hey, shocking. To no me. Lake and Martin not, slander on this show. One of his one of his daughters is a grad assistant at Liberty. He went into depth on a, on the interview about uh, how much he loved Liberty and what it what mm-hmm. they did. I mean, yeah, he, well, he went into depth about how it was home, you know. And I just, I just, I really after reading that from him, I just think he's off the board. Yeah, I just, I, I think it's important to to note that even though he did get this extension, more money with with Liberty. It doesn't take him off the board from getting hired somewhere. Doesn't mean he won't be. Doesn't mean he'll leave Liberty. Again, I've never thought he would be the coach at Auburn, so he is still available, and I think he could still go and coach somewhere else. Also, I mean, I would look at kind of for this mold, look at Mel Tucker, who just signed a ridiculously huge extension at Michigan State this past year after a great year. Now, his name has cooled off because they have not had a good year at all this year. But his buyout is still really, really low. Yeah. Like, if somebody wanted to go get him, it's not that hard to go get Mel Tucker from Michigan State even one year into this extension. And just I, because you get the extension, again, doesn't mean you're not going anywhere. I saw somebody post the graphic in 18 when Lane Kiffin signed a 10-year extension with FAU. And we see how that turned out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I again, I, my, my first pick would still be Lane, guys. Uh, but anyway, you know, we still got a coach now. Um for at this moment, well, I just I, I'm a, I'm torn, guys. Uh, I've been listening to y'all a little bit. You know, you're 100 percent right. We could go win this game, but do you know this is this is going to be the game we're going to find out. I feel like the rest of the season, uh, are these players going to quit on on Harson because of what's happened this past week with the red shirting or what was been quoted or was it whether it's real or not? You know, are these are these players going to you know quit on them? Uh, or are they going to, you know, rally behind their coach and uh, show up? I mean, we we got the the players. It's at home. I mean, you know, Arkansas has lost some key components to what they thought was going to be a championship caliber team, but it turns out it's not. You know, and um, I mean, it's a winnable game. All the rest of them, except for Bama, are very winnable. That's right. Um, That's right. We're but, gonna and we're gonna know, find out. We're gonna find out. Hey, man, we we'll are find out, guys. Yep, you're right. Hey, yep, good to hear from you, man. We're up against it. We got about a minute to make our final picks here. Auburn, Arkansas, fellas, make it quick. Who you got? I'll go with Arkansas on this one. I think it's gonna be like a like a thirty-seven, uh, maybe twenty-seven kind of game. I think that Arkansas kind of handles it and um asserts their will and i just don't know what auburn team we are going to see out there on the field on saturday i guess just to be a contrarian to it um i'll go with i'll I'll go with auburn finds a way to run the ball in this one uh defense does just enough i think they're going to get run on but i maybe they'll be able to keep it up i'll go 30 to 27 auburn 
Um, and uh, Brian Harson sticks around for another week. I'm going to go with Auburn as well. I think the defense plays better than they did against Ole Miss. I think the offense, uh, they run the football with Tank and Jarquez. I think Auburn uh, maybe gets Robbie Ashford involved a little bit to running the football. Maybe they finally figured out he can run. And I think Auburn wins 27-21. to That's my final score prediction. Hey, high school football tonight. Auburn high over on Wings 94-3 at 6.30. Lee Scott on AU 100. That's 100.3. Uh, Lee Scott has their final home game tonight, so be sure to go and check that out. That's all we got, though, man. It was a great, great show. Go and find the podcast, ESPNAU.com. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.